Hi, my name's Paul Grogan. Welcome to episode 58 of the All New Gaming Rules podcast. This episode is an audio version of the monthly video log that went out in November 2023. A big thank you to all of my patron supporters for making this episode possible. And if you want to support the channel directly, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash gaming rules. Now, on with the show. In this video, I'll talk about everything that I've been up to in the last month. Well, maybe not everything, but all of the games that I've been playing, uh, everything that's coming new to the channel in the next month, give you a Patreon update, talk a little bit about GridCon and various other things. As always, these videos are not sponsored in any way and all of the advertising revenue goes to charity. So a huge thank you to all of my Patreon supporters for funding the channel. And if you want to support the channel directly, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash gaming rules. One thing that I'm going to talk about a bit later on is the fact that only one video this month was sponsored. So out of all of the videos that I've done this month, only one of them has been sponsored. That means all of the other ones have been funded pretty much through Patreon. And that's why I rely on the financial support of the Patreon to keep the channel going. Not just for these videos, but for a lot of the other content as well. Anyway, moving on, let's first talk about Evacuation. Now, I've played Evacuation a few times in October, so I've already talked a little bit about it, but I have played it twice in November. The first was on the 1st of November, and then again on the 2nd of November. Now, the one on the 1st of November was a solo playthrough, and you can find that on the channel uh, if you want to look back. And in fact, if you're interested in knowing more details about my thoughts on the solo game of Evacuation, I would strongly recommend going to that video, even if you just skip to the end, to find out what I think about it. Because that was 28, 29 days ago. What day is it today? It's the 30th of November today. So yeah, it was 29 days ago. I can't quite remember everything about it. I don't even remember what mode I played. I think I played the points mode. I don't even know if the race mode is available for the solo game. Um, but as I say, I played the solo game of it, which for me, I enjoy Vladimir Suhi's solo modes. They are very low maintenance you are effectively just doing the same thing that you normally do in a game there isn't an automated opponent or anything like that um so they they suit me perfectly because i'm able to basically concentrate on doing in the game what i would normally do in the game so i remember enjoying the solo game of it and i would definitely play the solo game again now the game that i played on the 2nd of november was an interesting one because this game has two main modes of play. It has the race mode and it has the points mode. And the rulebook recommends that you play the race mode for your first game. And I agree with that absolutely. Now, there are some people out there who disagree and think, oh, no, you should play the points mode first. But Evacuation is quite a complex game. I would probably class it as the heavier end of medium to heavy. And your first game of it, there's a lot going on. You're having to learn all of the rules. You're having to learn how all of the in interlocking mechanisms work. And you're having to learn some of the tricky parts. Because there are some tricky and fiddly rules in the game that make it a bit hard to learn. On top of all that, if you play the points mode, you also have these three cards with objectives that you need to aim for. With the race mode, you don't have those three extra objectives. And that's why I firmly believe that the race mode is the best way to learn the game so that you can concentrate on learning how the game works before then diving into the points mode. And I know there's some people who actually prefer the race mode. Anyway, I've played the race mode four times before. I haven't actually properly played the points mode. I accidentally played it in Essen, but we didn't even use the scoring cards. But anyway, so I really wanted to play the points mode. However, the other two players that night were new players and hadn't played anything. So I said to them, I said, look, even though I think the race mode is best for your first game, we're going to be playing points mode tonight because that's that's what I want to play. Otherwise, I will just end up in the cycle of always playing the race mode. Um, so we did. And yeah, I, I think it went okay. 
But as I say, there's a lot to teach. And at the end of a long day, after you've been at work all day, having to take in all of those rules, you know, there were a few questions that cropped up during the game. Things that I did mention during the teach, but it, it's, it's hard for, you know, somebody to listen for a full 30 minutes and take everything in. Now, the thing with evacuation, after my five plays of it, and I'm very keen to see what you think about it. If you've played evacuation and you've played it more than a few times, let me know if you think something similar to this or if you disagree with me. But there's two things about the game. The first one is, if you are playing this game, having played it before and kind of know what you're supposed to be doing and how to do it, then it isn't a fair game against anybody playing for the first time. When you're playing for the first time, you're just trying to learn the mechanisms. You're trying to learn how it works and you're doing actions and you don't really understand how it all fits together. Once you've played it a few times, you know you've got four rounds to evacuate that planet. You know that you need to do this, you need to build a ship, you need to move it here, you probably need to build another ship, you need to have the energy, you need to balance all of that stuff. And it takes one or two games for you to get to grips with that. But what that means is, in this game that we played, I won by a country mile because I knew what I was doing. I knew the processes that I had to go through in order to get all of these people and not just get them off one planet but actually put them on the other planet i knew that i needed a good amount of steel to build the houses for the people and all of those things that catch you out when you're learning the game that you forget to do i already knew all of those things so yeah it certainly wasn't a fair game now my concerns with evacuation bearing in mind it's one of my favorite games that came out of Essen this year i really enjoy the game i think it's really great rule set i think it's one of his most thematic games that he's created um is i have some concerns over long-term replayability and again i'd really love to hear from you to see what you think about this if you either agree or disagree with this but because it's only four rounds and you know that you need to basically get as many factories and population on the new planet as possible because that's what increases your production you need to work out how you're going to do that in the four in the four rounds now my flow is in round one you need to build a spaceship so that at the end of round one you can start transporting things across to the planet so that at least you've got something there that will start to increase your production because you need that production quite early then in round two you'll probably build another spaceship while sending the first one back and the other one comes over then in round three you might build another spaceship or you might just send this one back but in round three you probably want to evacuate most of the stuff off the planet because then in round four, you can spend your time populating the planet. I know some people wait till round four and then evacuate most of the stuff off the planet, which is okay. You don't lose the points for it still being there, but then you don't really have any time, apart from the end game card, um, to put that new stuff on the planet. So yeah, my concern is, have I solved the game? Is it buy a spaceship in round one, another one in round two, and another one in round three, and then basically get everything off in three and spend round four putting it on the new planet? Now, I'm not saying there, there is an exact step-by-step -step sequence of actions that you want to take because there's lots of different ways of achieving that, but is the overall strategy of the game going to be similar every time you play? Uh, and if everybody does that, then it's just slight tweaks within that. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. As I say, let me know what you think. But yeah, two games of evacuation this month. I haven't yet played with the advanced mode, which is the, uh, the other side of the action cards, which I'm keen to try. I don't think that is going to fix any of these potential problems that I'm talking about with the game on replayability, if indeed it is a problem. I'm just hypothesizing here. 
um, but it will certainly add more variability to it. And I've heard mixed things about the action cards. Some people have said it makes the game even better. Some people have said it makes the game worse. So yeah, who knows? The next game I played in the month is on the 3rd of November, and this is Ark Nova with the new Marine Worlds expansion. And this is another playthrough that was not sponsored, and it is on the channel now. And we had a round the table discussion at the end of the video. So if you want to hear my detailed thoughts, head on over to the channel, and that is, that is on there now. But what I will say is that Ark Nova with the Marine Worlds expansion is a bit of a refresh that the game didn't need, but is great. Ark Nova is a fantastic game. I'm generally always playing a game of it on Board Game Arena, and when one finishes, I'll wait a few days and then I'll start another one. I very much enjoy playing Ark Nova. So it's not that it needed an expansion. It was still a great game, and I still enjoy playing it. But the expansion does, I think, make it a better game. Now, one thing that I will say about Ark Nova, uh, to the annoyance of some people, I think the game is overrated. I think it is a great game, and I enjoy playing it. But I think there is still quite a big look factor in whether you get the right cards that fit with what you're doing. And some people will disagree with that, and that's fine. You can have that opinion if you want to. But the last two games of it that I've played on Board Game Arena, one of them, I just didn't draw anything. I was getting a complete hodgepodge of cards. None of them fit the objectives that were there. Uh, I wasn't drawing any other objectives. And then when I did eventually draw an objective, it was like for having lizards and I've got no lizards or something like this. So that game just didn't work out at all. Now, the second game that I played, which is the one that I'm almost finished with. In fact, it, it might finish today. Um, the look has been with me straight away. Um, I managed to get a handful of Australia icons. And one of the objectives was Australia, so I went with that. And then I drew the card that said, if you release an animal into the wild, that's also Australia. And it's like everything that I did in that game, not quite everything, but I was very lucky with the cards that I drew. I think I've drawn maybe four or five conservation projects in this second game that I'm in. And three of them have fit exactly with what I was doing. And then somebody else played one, which also fit with what I was doing. That can happen. There is a look factor there, but it's not the only thing. You don't like go, oh, okay, I've started a game and I've not got the right cards. I'm going to lose this game. You can still win it. It just requires a lot a lot more going on. Anyway, the, the Ark Nova expansion, the Marine Worlds expansion, really good. like the fishes. Uh, I like the introduction of what they do to the game. I like the tweaks that they've made to some of the cards. I like the way that the uh, the river sort of flows down a bit more with the cards coming out. And yeah, I generally like the new expansion. Now, I'm a big believer that you should never play a game for the first time without the with, with the expansion. But with Marine Worlds, I might be tempted to do that for two reasons. First of all, I don't want to have to go through that massive deck of 400 cards and take out all of the fishes. Um, but the second one is, I don't think it adds that much extra. Ark Nova is quite a complex game. I would say it's definitely a heavy game. Uh, you know, a full teach of Ark Nova, you're looking at probably 35, 40 minutes, something like that. And I don't believe that adding on the extra Marine Worlds rules is that much extra. It is a little bit extra, but I, I think it's okay. So yeah, I'd be I'd be tempted with, with new players to actually use Marine Worlds for the first time. Let me know if you agree or disagree, as usual. Next up, on the 5th of November, I played Perseverance Episode 3. Now, this is on the channel, but it isn't on the channel as a live stream from the 5th of November. We filmed it live on the 5th of November, 
But then what I did is I took the video down, I did a slight bit of quick, quick editing on it, chopped off the start, chopped off the end, and uploaded it as a new video. So it's on the channel now. I can't remember the exact date that I uploaded it, but this is the only sponsored playthrough video that is on the channel for this month. So yeah, it's been an odd month, should we say. In fact, the last couple of months have been odd. Um, that There hasn't been much in the way of sponsored content, which is why I mentioned at the start, I do rely on the support of the Patreon, but Perseverance Episode 3, thank you very much to Mind Clash Games for yeah being my only paying sponsored video uh, this month. What do I think of Perseverance Episode 3? Bear in mind, this was a sponsored playthrough video. Now, JP came round, he'd got the game, he'd already played it at Essen, he got a prototype of it, he's played it again, and he basically handled the teach. So I was just a player in the game, I learned how to play the game, JP taught the game, taught us what's different, and then we played it. Now, Perseverance Episode 3 is quite different from Episodes 1 and 2. What they've done is they've taken on board a lot of the feedback that they had from Episodes 1 and 2, and they've incorporated that feedback into Episode 3. And also, as designers, they've all realised things that they could have done better. And Episode 3, I think, my opinion, is it's the best episode. Now, I do enjoy 1 and 2. I think they are good games. But I'm happy to say that episode 3 doesn't continue the complexity curve of 1 and 2. 1 was this complex, 2 was this complex, and I was worried that 3 was going to be too much. Because episode 2, for me, is already at the upper limit of complexity that I am comfortable with. And I'm happy to say in episode 3 they brought that complexity down a bit, but I think it's still got the same depth. They've also uh, completely transformed the way that assemblies work, because they took a lot of... Uh, negative feedback from people on that one. Um, and yeah, I think episode three is altogether a better game. Now, if you don't know the Perseverance series, although they are four individual episodes, you don't have to play them as a campaign. You can do if you want to, but they are all each standalone games. I know some people prefer one, some people prefer two. I think most people are going to prefer three. Now, the crowdfunding campaign, which I can't remember if it's actually finished or not yet, but that video was done to help launch that campaign. I think it might still be going on. Um, but episode four hasn't been shown yet. They've revealed what episode four is all about, but they haven't got any playthrough videos of it yet because it's still in development. And it was at a stage, certainly a couple of weeks ago, where they felt that it wasn't ready enough for them to do a playthrough video. Uh, I've been told by Mindclash that there is going to be a pledge manager for the Perseverance episodes 3 and 4 and that I'm going to get a chance to play episode 4 during the pledge manager for that. So keep an eye out for when that is. I don't know exactly when it's going to be. I need to find out actually and book it into the calendar. But yeah, that's Perseverance episode 3. Next up, let's talk about Aeon Trespass Odyssey. So Aeon Trespass Odyssey, uh, we've played three games of that in the last month. Uh, which is 17, 18, and 19. So I think I've, that's my 19th play of that this year. It, I think it might be my most played game this year. Now, I've talked a lot about Aeon Trespass Odyssey for the last, what, four or five months? And in fact, I talked about it quite a lot in my top 10 games of 2022 video, which I did in the summer of this year. So if you're interested in knowing more of my detailed thoughts on Aeon Trespass Odyssey, then I would definitely check out my top 10 games of 2022 and I've actually done two top 10 games of 2022 videos so if you find the one that was filmed in de December last year with Devon Norris it's not that one it's the one that I recorded in the summer of this year that's where I talk about A and Trespass Odyssey I will give you an update on our campaign we are on day 43 we are almost about to complete 
or we just have completed story 3b. There are four stories in cycle one and each story has a part A and a part B. So we've done 1A, 1B, 2A, 2B, 3A, 3B. We are about to move to the final story in cycle one. And if we were to um, just go for it and try and complete that story, we will probably wrap up our cycle one campaign in a few weeks. However, we don't want to do that. And the reason we don't want to do that is you have an 80 day limit and the longer we leave it, the more other stuff we can do. So we've got an Inward Odyssey adventure. We're only halfway through that. We've got two adventure hubs that we haven't even started yet. Uh, and if you get to the end of an adventure hub, you get a super special reward. We've just unlocked the Earth Shaker, which is our first Argo bred Titan. It's got weird six arms. Um, but yeah, so we, we had a massive session a couple of weeks ago where we completed two Fated Nemos cards. We got our first Argo bred Titan. Something else happened. It was basically a big week for, for stuff happening. In the last week, Rick has deciphered the Sentimane's glyphs. So we've had even more secret paragraphs. We're fighting the Temenos for a third time. It's all, it's all kicking off. My thoughts on the game haven't really changed that much from uh, when I recorded that top 10 video. Um, well, I don't think they have anyway. The game is still very, very complex. It is still the most complex game in my collection and we are still having rules queries every time we play. If you are the kind of person that doesn't want to play a game 20 times and still have rules queries, which to be honest is actually me, then this might not be the game for you. Um, but we had a question crop up in, in our session this week, which wasn't covered in the rule book and I had to, we had to make a ruling at the time and then I had to go into the Discord channel afterwards I confirmed that what we got was correct, but what happens is actually not covered in the rulebook. Uh, and you're going to have that. It's, it's just the nature of this game because of the amount of detail and complexity and cards and, oh, there's a thing on this card. And what does that do? Well, that doesn't fit with this. You're going to have that with this game. But the epic scope of this game, the storyline, it, it's keeping us gripped and it's keeping us very interested in the game. So we're probably going to stretch out the last part of this cycle and we're, we're likely to finish cycle one, I would have thought, in about March. And whilst I was very keen to go, right, let's jump into cycle two, it's actually been quite a lot of work. Um, not paid work, but playing this every week and having to do the amount of prep and one night a week out playing this has had an impact on me covering other games. So I think, think I'm probably going to take a break at the end of cycle one and then we'll reevaluate and look at when we're going to do cycle two. Speaking of AM Trespass Odyssey, a number of you know that in the background, the paid work that I am actually doing during the week, uh, which isn't much, it's probably about one, two days a week, is I'm creating a series of uh, tutorial videos, official tutorial videos for the game. Uh, I've almost finished video number three. I'm doing five, uh, each of which is 35 to 40 minutes long. As I say, it is a complex game. Um, and the plan is that I'm going to get all of the videos almost done and ready at stage two. And then the bits with me on camera, I'm going to film all at once. Otherwise, they all the videos will look very different. Um, and the plan is to start releasing those videos uh, probably January or February next year, which is when the second printing of the game is going to be coming out ready for those people who are getting the game to learn how to play it. So that's an update on Aeon Trespass Odyssey, where we are with the campaign, and also where I am with filming the videos at the moment. Next up, on the 8th, is Kootenai Horror. So this was a Wednesday night. Stephen Cooper was coming over to pick up a copy of Rebuilding Seattle. 
And I said to I said to Steve, and I said, well, look, if you're coming all the way here to pick up a game, to go all the way home, Vicky's out at jewellery, why don't you stay and have a game? And he said, sure. I said, well, pick a game. Pick a game that I've covered on the channel recently that I know how to play that you want to play. And he said, well, how about Kootenai Horror? I said, yep, yeah, absolutely fine. Now, Stephen does demoing for Czech Games Edition, and he spent a lot of time demoing it at UK Games Expo, but he'd never actually played the finished version of the game. So he wanted to play it, uh, and a couple of other people came over. Rob came over, Ian came over, and we did a four-player game of Kootenai Horror. That is on the channel now. The date of it is 8th of November. And the reason I'm saying that it's on the 8th of November is that was my second live playthrough of Kootenai Horror. I'd already done a live playthrough, which is a three-player game, and that was a four-player game. So if you want to see the difference between them, you can. And again, we did a round-the-table discussion at the end of that game where you can get everybody's feelings and opinions on the game. I will summarise them here and my current thinking on the game after two plays. I like the game. I think it's very clever in the way that it does things. I like the way that the market dynamically adjusts itself based on the number of population arriving in town and how many things you build. I like that. That's good. Um, what I have some concerns about is the long-term replayability. I'm not sure after four or five games if there is enough there to keep me going back. I think there might be, but I'm not sure about that. Now, one thing that I will tell you about this game, if you haven't played it yet, and the rulebook actually mentions this, and when we did the first live playthrough video, I remember reading from the rulebook, and I had a laugh about it at the time, because it says something like, uh, there is a, not a substantial, I can't remember the word that was used, but it says, basically, the rulebook says, there is a massive amount of points available from the city area. And it, it used a word, and I can't remember what it was, but we laughed about it. But it's absolutely right. Basically, in this game, there are a number of ways of getting points, but you are going to get a huge amount of your points for building the city area. So much so that the rest of the points you get from the other areas is like, oh, it's a little bit here and a little bit there. Whereas the city is massive. Now, that's not a flaw with the game. Unfortunately, there's some reviewers out there who've said, oh, the game's flawed. It's all about the city building. It is all about the city building. That's what the game is. The rulebook actually says you're going to get most of your points from the city part of it. That is the game. Everything else, and you can get a bit from other places, but it's more about the city. If you don't do the city building right, then you're not going to do very well. And the city building is the is the main puzzle of the game. It's where you build the buildings, getting the right public buildings next to them, etc., etc. So yeah, I'm, I'm a bit concerned about the long-term replayability because I think games might end up going a little bit similar. I'm not sure. Again, I'm two games in. I would like to play it again. Next up, on the same night, this wasn't live streamed, but I have done a live stream of this game. This is FTW. FTW, exclamation mark, question mark, exclamation mark. Little card game from Friedman Freezer. I think I spoke about it last month. It's just a simple deck of cards, numbered 1 to 60. Um, <clears throat> really like this game. It's a fun, quick uh, card game that I think does things a little differently and he's quite clever, and I've played it now probably four or five times maybe, and I've taught it to about, I don't know, 10, 15 people, and most people, if not all of them, have, have enjoyed it. It's nothing, you know, massively amazing, because it is just a little card game, but it's got some interesting choices, and I don't think those choices are 
you know, I was I was having a disagreement with somebody who said, oh, the game's rubbish, none of us liked it. The choices are obvious, there's no game there. Yeah, well, I'm, I, they must have been playing a different game because the 20 people that I've played this game with have all enjoyed it. And it is fun and it is quick and it does work and it does things in a bit of a clever way. Uh, if you are interested in seeing that, there is an accidental live stream on my channel sometime in August. This was a... Uh, a late night playthrough that I did live for my patron supporters, but accidentally set the video to public, so it went out public. But that, that's on the channel now if you want to watch it. Next up, on the 10th of November, a game that I was very, very much looking forward to. This is Planter Nubo. Planter Nubo was one of the big new hot releases at Essen. It is from the Game Builders, who kindly gave me a review copy of the game and also an extra copy of the game to put into the GridCon charity raffle. So thank you very much for that. It's got three designers, Andreas Odenhal, Mike Keller, and Uwe Rosenberg. So, based on that, it's ticking a lot of boxes already, and this is very much a game that I was going to be looking forward to. That said, uh, well, in addition to that, a couple of my patron supporters have said this was their favourite game from Essen. And I'm like, ooh, it looks like a kind of game I'm going to like, it's their favourite game. I know they normally like the kind of games I like. I'm very excited about this. Now, I have to say, big thank you to Graham Charlton, who spent his afternoon teaching me and Pete how to play. So Pete came over for the afternoon and we did a learning game where Graham taught us how to play. And I am very thankful of that because I have heard that the rulebook is not great. Now, I've not read the rulebook for this game. I have had a look at it in a couple of places here and there. But I've not been through the process of reading through the rulebook. I have heard lots of stories from lots of other people that the rulebook isn't good. Um, but Graham taught us how to play. And then other people came over for the evening and I taught other people how to play. And that is on the channel now. So this is a live stream from the 10th of November. Me teaching two other people how to play Planta Nubo and then a full three player game. And again... We give our thoughts on the game at the end. So if you want to hear more details about what I thought about the game and what the others thought about the game, that is on the channel now. In summary, from what I remember, I really enjoyed the game. However, for me, it was a little bit too complex. Now, I like my complex games, but I don't like my complex games where there's maybe... There's a bunch of rules that feel too fiddly and too complex. And I'm not saying complexity for complexity's sake. And the designers will argue that those rules, and I'm specifically talking about the ones about the copper pipes, um, they're there for a very good reason. There is a very good design reason that they are there. I can understand that. But they are hard to understand, hard to teach, and hard, hard to explain, and hard for people to remember. And as a game developer... Those are four red flags, even though two of them are the same, um, for we need to change this. And if this game was 10% less complex, I would enjoy it a lot more than I currently do. So I like the game. I think it's a great game. There's so much about the game that's really good, but there's just a few bits that feel a bit too much that, hope, that I, I wish, for my personal benefit would have been trimmed and streamlined away and that would have made the game more accessible, easier to teach, shorter teach time and less confusing for people to play. The other thing as well is the graphic design. I think overall the graphic design is very, very good, right? The iconography and the graphic design overall is very good. 
Unfortunately, there are a couple of places where it's wrong. The player aid has an icon, which actually is a tree with a plus symbol on, but in on at that point on the player turn, it's it means something different. And whenever you see that icon somewhere else, it means something else. Similar, but not the same. And then there's another icon where there's two different icons and they mean the same thing. They just had two different icons and they forgot to change them in the graphic design. So there's a few quirks with the game. The rulebook not being great, over complexity on some of the rules and the graphic design being not 100% perfect. Now, these are all minor criticisms, minor criticisms of the game. If it weren't for those, this might be my favourite game for Mess in 2023. It might still be my favourite game for Mess in 2023. But if I'm going to say, oh, this is my best game for Mess in 2023, I'm not one of those reviewers that just gushes about a game and tells you how amazingly fantastic it is. I deliberately try and look for things that are wrong with the game for two reasons. One, I want to be honest with you. I don't want to just say, oh, this game's amazing. It's the best game that I've played, blah, 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 blah. And you go out and buy it and you go, this rulebook's terrible. Why didn't Paul say the rulebook was terrible? Um, but also, I, 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 I don't just want to gush about a game. I want to try and fight, be a bit more balanced about it and, and give you the full information about it. It's quite a complex game. The game, the video is on the channel. The playthrough is on the channel. And unlike... Evacuation and Kootenai Horror, I think this one does have more long-term replayability than the others. I liked the theme of the game as well. The fact that it's sort of post-apocalyptic and you're planting flowers and you've got a garden and your robot and, and you can move flowers around between your flower pots. I actually quite liked that. I thought that was quite a nice nice idea. Anyway, that's Plantanubo. Want to play it again. Really want to play it again. There is a solo mode to the game as well, but I don't know. If the rulebook is not that great... Is the solo mode going to be too much for me? I don't know. Next up, speaking of replayability, uh, we did a playthrough video on the 15th of November of White Castle, or The White Castle. And this is my second playthrough that I have done of this game on the channel. Uh, and again, this was not sponsored. So one thing that I'm actually quite happy about at the moment is I've done multiple playthroughs of Kootenai Horror on the channel. I've done multiple playthroughs of The White Castle. And I know one criticism that a lot of people have about content creators like me is that we play a game, we do a video on it, we smile, we wave, and then that video, that, that game goes off. And then the next day, we've got another new game and off we go. And there is so many games coming out. We want to cover as many games as possible for two reasons. You know, we want to try these games. We want to see what they're like. And also... Doing repeated videos on the same game, not many people want to want to see that. They want to see the new games. But it's actually made me quite happy, the fact that I've covered Kootenai Horror twice on the channel in the last couple of months. And also the White Castle as well. So what happened is, this is the day before Gridcon. Um, the Maltese guys, Mark, Andrew and Justin, came over to Gridcon. They arrived on the Wednesday. Vicky's out at Jewellery on Wednesday. So I said, well, why, why don't you come around here? You know, come and see the studio and join me for a game. And they did, and they picked the game, and we played White Castle. And again, this is on the channel now, and there is a round-the-table discussion at the end of that video if you wanted to find out what we thought about it. All of these round-the-table discussions at the end are timestamped in the videos, so you don't have to watch the entire video. Just go to the video, find the timestamp, and you can get straight to the end. But in summary, my opinions on White Castle are, I like the game. 
I, I do enjoy the game. I don't really think there is that much theme in the game, but that's not a problem. I find it a very mechanical game. The theme could be absolutely everything, uh, absolutely anything. I don't feel that the theme comes across really at all in, in, in the game. Um, but again, that's not a problem for me. I, I play games for generally mechanical reasons most of the time. Um, it is a very tight game. It is a 45 minute to 60 minute game. You have nine turns to be the most efficient you can with getting victory points. That's basically what it is. Now, the replayability of this game is high because the variable setup of the board. At the start of the game, you will randomly lay out cards and tiles and all sorts of other stuff. And then you'll choose a starting card. And then you're like, right, okay, so what am I going to do in this game? And you will be drafting dice and you will be placing those dice onto spaces and you will be performing actions. Those actions might cause other actions. But generally, you are yeah, trying to be the most efficient you can with your nine turns in order to maximise the points you're going to get. And there's multiple ways of doing it. And you can look at the board just after it's been set up and realise... Oh, wait a minute, there's an area there. If I put a red dice, I'm going to get to do both of those actions. And then that action is this. And that could combo right. Okay, I've got a bit of a plan. So every game is going to play out differently. And it's a very, very tactical game. In that you need to be looking at the opportunities uh, turn after turn of, of, of what you can do. Because based on player order, there's a little bit of worker placement. You might miss out and things like that. So yeah, I very, very much enjoy the game. For me, it's uh, not up there with some of the other ones that I've talked about today, but it does fit into a different category because it is this 45 to 60 minute game that's just very short and inefficient, uh, not inefficient, and just an efficiency puzzle about how you move things around to get your points. But yeah, I do enjoy mechanically the game. And then probably my favourite game of the month yeah, I think this might be my favourite game of the month. So what happened is we finished our game of White Castle and Vicky was still out at jewellery and it was still quite early. So I said, well, I'll tell you what, do you want to stay for another game? And they went, yeah, 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 let's, let's stay for another game. So I looked around and I thought, right, let's find a game that I don't know, but looks relatively simple that I could probably learn how to play from the rule book. And we chose World Wonders. Now... I was very lucky to get a copy of World Wonders at Essen because they all gone. They'd sold out. They didn't even have any copies for reviewers. I was leaving Essen on the Sunday and I walked past the Arcane Wonders booth to say goodbye to everybody. Uh, and Robert basically saw me, made a phone call, and five minutes later I've got a copy of World Wonders. The last copy that was there, there was one found and Robert said, here you go, I want, I want you to have this. And I'm very, very thankful of that. Because this game got put into the Hot Games Library at GridCon. And it was one of the most played games at GridCon. I think partially due to the fact that I'd played it the day before. And then I started raving about it. And telling everybody how good this game was. As I say, this is probably my favourite game of the month that I've, that I've played. There's something about this game. And there isn't a public video of this yet. For me, I haven't done one. I did do a Patreon only one. So that was live streamed. Um, me, Justin, Mark and Andrew, we all learnt how to play the game from the rulebook and it was live streamed to Patreon supporters as a bonus live stream because we were kind of learning and it was very, very rough. 
Um, I'm in discussion with Arcane Wonders about whether they want a sponsored playthrough video for this, and I really want to do one, but that that's up to them. Um, but yeah, it's it's just a great game, really, really good game. Now I don't know what the availability of this game is yet, but it's relatively simple to teach. It's got some really interesting ideas. It's got polyomino polyomino building, but thematic. So if we talk about polyomino games, most of them, what you're doing is you're just arranging shapes. There's no real reason for it. And if we look at a game like Feast for Odin, that's one of my top 10 games of all time. I love Feast for Odin. It's a fantastic game. But the polyomino part of it doesn't have any theme attached to it. You are literally just putting pieces in to try and fill gaps. In World Wonders, the polyomino part of it is actually thematic, right? Everything about the rules for building, the way that you have to put streets, then the buildings have to be connected to, to, to the roads. Uh, you then can't put roads out of the other side of the buildings. You have to put them around the buildings. Um, bridges, one end, the other end has to be on land, but in the middle can be walls. All of these things, it's all thematic. So when you're actually building things, the rules for building do make sense. And then what you do is you buy these wonders and every single one of the wonders in the game has a thematic detail on what it needs to build it. So if you're building the Easter Island statues, they need to be next to uh, rocks. If you're building the aqueduct, then it needs to be next to water and things like this. Certain religious uh, wonders need to be next to temples and things. It all makes sense. And when you look at the the details of each of these wonders and what the requirements are for where you need to build them. It's like, oh yeah, that makes sense. All of the pieces, wooden pieces, uh, they all look really good. I'll put, put a picture of it on screen so you can see. But yeah, it's got a great table presence. And yeah, really enjoyed the game. Uh, very, very highly rate this game. An expansion has already been announced for it. And yeah, can't wait to play it again. It's just really, really good. I actually played it at GridCon as well. Speaking of GridCon, so GridCon then happened, which was from the 17th to the 19th of November. And unlike last year's GridCon, I was actually doing less sponsored demoing myself. What that meant, uh, what that meant is that I had more time available to myself uh, in order to basically talk to people, walk around, check that everything was uh, going okay. But there were a few occasions where everything was going okay and I didn't actually have anything to do and I was struggling to stay awake. So what do I do? Well, I'll sit down and play a game. That'll keep me busy and that'll keep me awake. Uh, so I actually played a few games at GridCon this year. The first one that I want to talk about was World Wonders. Already talked about that, but I'll talk about that again. Uh, I talked about that already. Uh, the next one was Anno 1800. So uh, a guy from London, KR, had come over with his son and they kept getting games out of the library and having a look through them. Um, and I, and I, I went over just to check that they were okay. And they said, oh yeah, we've got a load of games at home. We don't know how to play them. So we were planning that we could maybe get them out of the library here and somebody would teach us how to play. And I thought, oh, okay, but his son was like nine years old and he got Anno 1800 out. And I made this judgment and I went, is he going to be okay with this? Because I remember Anno 1800 being quite, quite involved. And I, I wouldn't have thought it would be a game suitable for a nine-year-old. Um, but anyway, they, they wanted to play it and I said, oh, okay, well, I'm, I'm happy to teach you a game, but I kind of, I don't really have the time to teach you Anno 1800 because it's going to be quite a, quite a long teach. Um, but then I thought, I looked at the clock and I thought, actually, I, I might want to, I want to play this myself. I haven't played this in like a couple of years and the game's fantastic. So I'll tell you what, let's play it. 
so we got one other person to join us, and I did a full teach, and we played a full four-player game of Anno 1800. And I tell you what, this this kid, wow, <laughs> he picked up the rules. He didn't ask any questions. He didn't really get any help from his dad, uh, and he was doing the stuff. And he was, yeah. I, I mean, I'm always impressed by. I mean, his kid's the right word. He's nine years old. Yeah, he's not a young adult. He's he's still a kid, but. And I then kept an eye on him over the weekend and the games he was playing. Yeah, it was very, very, uh, very switched on. Very, very clued up. So uh, what a great game. I mean, four players is the best player count for Anno 1800. I really do enjoy the game. I think Martin Wallace has hit an absolute sweet spot with that game. It's a little quirky. It's a bit different, but the way it works is just is just excellent. And I got back from Gridcon and they've announced an expansion. Only available in German. It's not out yet, but... Um, it is going to be coming out, and at the moment, it's only been announced in German, so I don't know if there's going to be an English version of the expansion. Anyway, that was 1800. Next game I played, Dungeon Scrawlers, Heroes of Undermountain. I love Dungeon Scrawlers. It is such a fun game that I was expecting very little from. I was expecting this would just be a silly nonsense game that you might play a couple of times, but it's not actually very good, and then move on. And actually, every time I've played it, I've enjoyed it. It, it is a fun game, it is quite light on the rules, and it is a real-time game where everybody has their own dungeon. It's all Everybody's got the same one. There's ten different maps available. Everybody takes the same one, uh, and then you're basically, the, when the, somebody shouts go, you draw on this board, and you're trying to get to the boss, and you're trying to defeat the boss and collect treasure on the way and stuff like that. And then when the timer runs out, or you defeat the boss, you pass your sheet to the right, and you get scored based on how many treasures you've picked up, monsters you've killed, lose points if you go through a wall that you shouldn't have gone through but it's a real-time drawing game that's it but it's fun and it works and everybody who i've played it with has has enjoyed it it's nothing amazing super special but it's definitely staying in the collection you can play one dungeon in like four minutes or something or you can play the rules say you're supposed to play three but you can play as many as you want you can play all ten if you wanted to so yeah that's dungeon scrollers and then I got a couple of games over the weekend of It's a Balloon. It's a Balloon from P.D. Verlag. I talked about this last month. Great, fun, little uh, party game for up to eight players. People can drop in, drop out, however they want. And what you're doing is you're trying to draw a particular thing on your little screen, which nobody else sees, and you describe how you're drawing it within certain rules. So I'm putting a circle around the uh, umbrella. I'm now drawing a line from the circle up towards the hand. I'm then drawing a line. Yeah, so you describe how you're drawing it. Everybody else has a screen. Everybody else is trying to draw it. And then everybody else has to try and guess what you're drawing. Uh, that's it. That's basically it. But it's fun. It works quite well. It's great for that convention. You just need something a bit of fun or the end of the night. So yeah, it's a balloon from PD Verlag. Thank you very much to them for the review copy and the extra copy which got put into the charity raffle. Next up on the 20th, we did some game testing. This was paid work. This wasn't. Uh, this isn't on the channel, but this is uh, game testing for the Detective Society's uh, latest, latest adventure series, which is going to be out in a couple of months, I think, which is like Murder on the Moon or Moon Mission, or I can't remember what it's actually called. Um, but if you know games from the Detective Society, they've done a number of cases before, it's of a similar vein. But this is being released all in one package, so instead of a series of episodes that come out one a month, uh, it's three episodes, but it's all released at the same time. And it's another yeah, detective-style puzzle game where you're trying to 
you know, sol solve the murder and solve what's going on. Uh, very similar to the other ones that they've done. So very thematic puzzles in the way that it all works. We, let, we won't give you any spoilers, um, but it probably took us about, I think it was about four and a half, five hours to do in total. We spread it out over a couple of days. Um, so yeah, you probably don't want to do it all in one sitting. You probably want to spread it out. But yeah, that'll be coming out in a couple of months, I think. Then on the 24th, uh, a game which I was very excited about covering, and this is Shipyard 2nd Edition. And this is on the channel now. So if you're interested in a playthrough video of Shipyard 2nd Edition with, again, our thoughts at the end of it, because this was another video that wasn't sponsored. Um, and why was I excited about Shipyard 2nd Edition? Because it's a, a dry, boring Euro about building ships in, like, the 19th century. It's because Shipyard originally came out in 2009, and I really like it. I still rate Shipyard. I still think it's a very good game. And I think Shipyard did some things which have which other games have used since then. In particular, the fact that you get your end game scoring cards at the start of the game, you get more than you need, and as the game goes on, you have to gradually whittle them down until you're left with one of each colour, and that is your end of game scoring card. Brilliant idea. Lots of other games should use that and don't. Some games now do use that. But anyway, this is a new version of the game. Now, it's the same game, almost, they have changed the artwork, they've changed the graphic design, they've changed the production value of the game, but it is essentially still the same game as it was. And I very much enjoyed Shipyard 1st Edition, so Shipyard 2nd Edition, yeah, very much enjoyed it. It is a mechanical game, there's not that much theme in the game, to be honest, but I find it does hang together quite well. And it's about, well, it's about constructing ships and sending them on test voyages, but the type of ships you build and what you need on those ships is all driven by these end of game scoring cards. You get them from the start of the game and you need to be building them. So in our game, for example, uh, one of my scoring cards that I decided that I was going to try and go for was for every ship that I build that has a combination of, was it soldier, cannon and sail or something? I can't quite remember what it was, but it was a combination of these three things and it was going to be six points at the end of the game for every ship that I have that has these three things on it. So I thought, right, my strategy for this game is to build small ships that have these three things on them. And that's what I did. And I managed to build five ships in total in the game. Four of them had this combination on. That's 24 points right there. But that's what the game is about. The game is about really focusing on your end of game scoring tiles, which as I say, you don't have to make that decision right at the start. Yeah, great game. Videos on the channel if you wanna see that including our thoughts at the end of it. Now, we played Shipyard twice that day. First game was in the afternoon where I was relearning how to play and teach Pete how to play. And then it was the live playthrough in the evening. Between those two games, we had time for another game of something. Me and Pete were downstairs, we'd had our curry and we were like, we've got time before people turn up, what should we play? And we decided to play Pirates of Maracaibo. Now I've covered this on the channel before. I've done a multiplayer game and I've done the solo game of it, but I really liked Pirates of Maracaibo. And I taught it to a group of people at GridCon. And that reminded me, I want to play this again. I really enjoyed this game and I really want to play it again. So we played it again. Me and Pete played it. He'd already played it before. And yeah, it's a great game. Pete absolutely annihilated me. Uh, in fact, when we did the final scoring, I think he beat me by about three points. And I was really surprised because I was like, well, I'm, I'm really happy that I'm only three points behind. 
because I thought you were way, way, way ahead. And then Pete went, oh yeah, we haven't yet scored for this. I get another 27 points and you get one. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. So you did beat me by a country mile, but no Pirates of Maracaibo. Yeah. I really like Pirates of Maracaibo and want to play it more. Next up, on the 25th of November, Vicky was away uh, for the day visiting her sister, so I decided that I was going to take some time out and do a solo playthrough. I like doing solo playthroughs on the channel, I just don't get to do as many of them as I would like, but this time I decided I was going to do a solo playthrough, and I did 20 Strong Solar Sentinels. So this is actually a little card and dice game from Cheap Theory Games. Now, Cheap Theory Games normally do massive box games that are really expensive, that are really complicated, that take five or six hours to play. This is a solo game. It's got 20 dice. It's got a pack of cards. And it should take about an hour. It took me about an hour and a half because I was learning the game. I was talking through my moves. I was really, really trying to understand what was going on. And my opinions of the game, which I talk about, again, I probably talk about it for 10 minutes at the end of the video. So again, check out the video of 20 Strong from last Saturday or probably Saturday before, by the time this video goes out, uh, and find out my full thoughts at the end of the video. But in summary, I very much enjoyed it, more than I thought I was going to. I'd spent a little bit of time in the week before, having a look through the cards, having a little bit of a practice turn, and I was not that keen on it. I was thinking, I'm not, I'm not really seeing this. I'm just rolling dice, and I'm trying to score values to kill monsters. Hmm... Not sure about this, but once I'd actually started playing it, I got really into it. And actually, it for a game which is just a deck of cards and 20 dice, there is so much detail and so much depth, and actually quite a bit of complexity as well. The rules are relatively simple, but when you start adding in the normal chip theory games game, where you've got, oh, wait a minute, I've got this card with this text, and this card with this text, but I've got an item that does this, and I've also got this, Ah, how does, oh, I could do that to do this. And then that moves the dice from here to here. And, oh, yeah. So actually, if you're expecting a, a nice light game, it's not that. This is very much a thinky game. And if it weren't for the fact that I'd live streamed this, I would have made dozens of rules mistakes because there's specific timing issues um, which you've got to be very, very careful about. Oh, this happens before that. It's all clear in the rule book. But yeah, it's it's a good game. Now, as you can see here, I have the other two boxes. I have the Too Many Bones box and the Hoplomarchus Victorum. I've heard from many people that those are better than the Solar Sentinels ones. Um, so we'll find out. I will get them covered at some point. I'd love to cover them. Um, you know, I would I could have covered one today, but I'm, I'm filming the vlog today. It's just a case of not enough time to cover everything. But yeah, did enjoy them. Uh, and again, not a sponsored video. So my full thoughts at the end of that playthrough video. On the 29th... We did some playtesting. Now, this was a paid piece of work, so I'm not going to talk too much about this. But it's SideQuest Prototype. So, SideQuest is a new series of escape room-style puzzle games from Board and Dice. The first two of them I actually have here. And these are still in shrink. I've not played these yet. So, this is SideQuest Nemesis and SideQuest 7th Sea. They're releasing two a year. And this secret prototype here, behind Jaffa the Hutt, is... One of the two games which is going to be released, uh, I believe this one's coming out at Gen Con 2024. So what these are, is these are escape room puzzle games, but the theme of them is another board game. Now, me and Vicky, we love our escape room puzzle games. But 
over the years, I mean, we've played most of the exits, most of the unlocks. We've played loads. I, I mean, yes, so many of them that we've played. And to be honest, the exits are getting to be now some of our least favourite. And that is because the puzzles in the exit game, some of them are like, ah, yeah, yeah we, we, we know what this is. They're not very thematic. They are all just, here's a puzzle, the solution is a three-digit code. That's it. And it's just 10 puzzles per adventure, and the answer to each one is a three-digit code. There's not actually that much theme at all in them. Whilst I've not played Nemesis or 7C, I can tell you that this one, that I'm not allowed to tell you what it is because of NDAs, very, very thematic. Now, I, I know the IP that this game is based on, and I happen to like that IP, but Vicky, who doesn't know that IP, she felt that this was very thematic as well. This is not just a puzzle game where you're just solving puzzles for no reason whatsoever. The designers of this have actually integrated the theme really well into this. It took us about... How long did it take us? I can't remember now. Was it two hours? Two and a half hours? Something like that? I want to say about two and a half, two and a half hours. I think that's what it took us. We've tested it. Uh, that's part of the process. I didn't do any testing on these. Now, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I'll tell you a little bit of a industry thing here that I hope I'm allowed to say, but if I'm not, I'm going to get in trouble. I wasn't involved in these two games professionally at all. But once they'd come out, Board and Dice contacted me because they know what I do in the industry. And they said, Paul, we've had some feedback on these adventures that some of the uh, some of the writing, some of the text, was not very well edited. They said it was, um, yeah, they'd, they'd had a number of feedback, a number of comments that the that the text on these cards, either the instructions or whatever, had not been edited very well, and some of the phrases were not easily understandable by a native English speaker. Bearing in mind that they know that I am. A rulebook editor, writer, and I also do testing of escape room games for other publishers. They contacted me and they said, would you like to become our tester and editor of these ones? And I was like, yes, please. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you very much. Because me and Vicky play through it. And although we we enjoy these games, ultimately, we're not getting paid to play games. We're, we're getting paid to test these games. And in that testing process, we found some things that were wrong and some things that were needed fixing and that's what our job is our job is to help make that the best it can be so that when people buy it they get a better experience so the reason i'm telling you this story is if you've played either of these two and you and as i said i've not opened them yet as you can see so i don't know but if you've played either of these two and you felt that the language and the text wasn't very well written then please give them another shot because i'm, I'm now going to be involved in it and if they're still not well written then you can complain to me. Moving on, the last game that I played in the month was Letter Jam. Now, Czech Games Edition have done an online implementation of Letter Jam. It is available for free, and it is at letterjam.game. That is the website. They've already done one for Codenames, which they did a couple of years ago, which is fantastic. So browser-based interface, but they've done one from Let for Letter Jam. Now, they haven't asked me to talk about this. They didn't even tell me it was ready. Uh, I saw it as an advert on BGG at one point. I was like, Letter Jam. I love Letter Jam. 
I have demoed Letter Jam about 200 times. I have played it probably about 50 times. I think it's a fantastic game. I absolutely love it. So five of us got together last night and we played it on this on this website. So letterjam.game, it is there. Um, if you don't know how to play it, I've actually done a how to play video on Letter Jam, which is actually quite a long video because Letter Jam is an odd game. It might look like it's a fun party game. And it is and it isn't. Because it's a 45 minute game, it requires the same people to be sat at the same table for that duration of time. It's a slow burn with a re big reveal at the end, but it's amazing. You're trying to work out what words you've got by gradually going through the letters, giving clues to other players. They're trying to help you work out what your letters are, and then at the very end of the game, you rearrange the cards to spell a word. The online implementation is fantastic. CG have knocked it out of the park again. They've done a fantastic job with it, and we played that last night. Now, we were chatting on Discord while we were playing the game. You don't need to do that. You can just play with the interface itself, um, and it's got all of the rules built in so that you can make suggestions, you can vote on whose suggestion you want to go with, and all of that sort of stuff. We were talking about it. We were chatting on Discord uh, as well, because it's a more sociable experience, but you don't need to have done that. They are all of the games that I played with people live, either sat down at a table or in the case of Letter Jam Online, online. Now, there are some other games that I've played in the last month, which these are asynchronous games that I've played on Board Game Arena, Yukata and various other things. I've got a couple of games of Agricola in, they were solo. So I've recently completed my Agricola, not completed the collection, but I've completed my five main decks. So I bought the C and the D decks, I got the E deck at Essen, so I've now got the, the entire of the A deck, the B deck, the C deck, the e deck, D deck, and the E deck. And I wanted to start playing with some of these new cards. So I went on to the Board Game Arena interface. Now, the Agricola interface on Board Game Arena is very good, but I wanted to play with the C deck, and you can't. You can include the C and D cards if you want to, but you cannot play with just a specific deck. You just have to say whether you want it to include those cards or not in the random mix, which was a shame because I kind of just wanted to play a specific deck to see what the cards did in that deck. Anyway, I played a couple of games of Agricola Solo online. Uh, I've also played uh, Through the Ages using the app. Uh, it was one of the best games that I've played of it. And I'm not saying that because I've won. Uh, I'm saying that just because the whole game was a massive roller coaster and I was so far behind, so, so far behind in terms of culture, but my resource production was, I've never seen anything like it. I think at one point I had like 35 resources or something ridiculous. Anyway, I did manage to win in the end. It was the last event card that I just managed to pip um, Joe on. And yeah, what a fantastic game. The game was so good. We have started another one straight afterwards and that is almost finished. That might finish today actually. Um, but yeah, thank you very much to Joe, Stevie and Bruce for that game of Through the Ages because it was really good. That's played using the the uh, the official CGE app for it. Uh, I played a game of Ark Nova online, which is the one that I mentioned earlier on where I just didn't get the right cards. Uh, and I'm playing another game of Ark Nova right now, which is very likely to finish today. Um, so I'll, I'll, I will class it as a, as a game that's included in this video log because it's very likely to finish today. And this is the one where I have been, and I will admit it, very lucky 
with the cards that I drew regards to the conservation projects. Uh, I also had a game of Lost Ruins of Arnak one night when I was in bed on the iPad and couldn't sleep, and I just created a random game and or joined somebody else's. I uh, played a game of Terraforming Mars using the, uh, the website, the unofficial website. What a fantastic game that was. Now, whenever I'm playing Terraforming Mars using this website, I normally turn on the live scoring because I quite find I find it quite exciting to go, oh, this person's got 56 points. I've got 52. Oh, no, what am I going to do? But Elaine set this game up and she, she turned that off. So you can see what points you've got, but you can't see what points everybody else has got, which is probably more like the board game, to be honest. Anyway, we all still played to the best of our ability. And the, the game finished, and it was one of the oddest games that I've ever played because the map of Mars at the end, we'd hardly touched it. We'd built maybe five trees, three cities, and that was it. We'd all just spent our time doing other stuff instead. But the game ended, and the points were 58, 57, 57, 56. Such a close game. Really, really good game. So every game I play of Terraforming Mars, it's definitely a top 10 game for me. I just love playing it. And finally, I had a game of Underwater Cities, which was on Yukata. Uh, and yeah, Frodo's first game of it. Always, always enjoy playing Underwater Cities. So there's a few games here which I don't think I will ever get bored of playing. And I could happily play 50 times, 100 times. Through the ages, I have played that hundreds of times. Um, Ark Nova, I would happily play that over and over and over and over again because it's just so variable in, in how each game plays. Terraforming Mars, same thing. And Underwater Cities, I just love Underwater Cities. So it's great that we're living in, a, in an age where there are these games available online for free that you can play asynchronously with people around the world. And I'm getting my my games hit very regularly on this. Anyway, that is, that is, I think, all of the games that I've played today. Except I will talk about Castles of Burgundy. Because, and let me just go over to my email. As I've been recording this video, it has not finished yet. Literally, I have taken my last move in an online game of Castles of Burgundy this morning. And as soon as Mark takes his move... That's it. That's that game over and done. Castles of Burgundy, another game that I just enjoy playing. Very different from the others. You know, through the ages, Ark Nova, Terraforming Mars, Underwater Cities, the enjoyment I get from playing those games is different from Castles of Burgundy. Because Castles of Burgundy is just totally and utterly mechanical <clears throat> optimization of how am I going to use my 25 turns that I've got and how am I going to use these dice? I love it for the mechanics rather than rather than anything else. Okay, next thing we're going to talk about is Gridcon. So I talked earlier on about uh, the games that I played at Gridcon, but let's talk a little bit at, about Gridcon. Gridcon is the event which me and Vicky organise ourselves. It runs once a year in November. This was Gridcon 4. Uh, it was our second year at the Holiday Inn in Taunton. Um, we sold out. The event is only 300 people, so we, we sell out very quickly. Um, overall, we're very happy with the event. A lot of people turned up. It was great to see a lot of people playing a lot of games, and people seem to be uh, having a lot of fun. There's obviously a few things that go wrong uh, with the event, and as organisers, you know that, that's something we have to deal with. But ultimately, I think everybody who turned up uh, had, a, had a good time, and I saw lots of games being played. It was, it was great to see that. It's a huge amount of work to organise GridCon. Um, <clears throat> and I just wanted to spend a minute to talk about the connection between GridCon 
and the Gaming Rules Patreon. Because <clears throat> there isn't a connection, but there actually is. So I don't want to advertise the Patreon at all during GridCon. GridCon is a board game convention that runs, it is organised by me and Vicky, it is put on by Gaming Rules. That's it, right? However, it is not possible to run GridCon without the Patreon. And the reason for that is we don't make that much money out of GridCon. We don't run GridCon to make money. Now, there are some people who will say, well, you should run GridCon to make money. If you're not making money out of it, why are you running it? We run GridCon because we want to run GridCon. Um, we, we want to run a convention, me especially. I want to do that each year. It is a huge amount of work. Is it a huge amount of uh, stress and pressure and everything else? And one of the things that we do at GridCon is we have a games library. Some of the other conventions that, that I go to that run, uh, such as Bacon and Manacon and things like that, they don't have a games library. Now, organising a games library takes a lot of extra work. And you might think, well, it's just surely it's just choosing which games to put in the library. Yeah, OK, right. Well, that, that takes a while. But then I've got to get those games, individually box them up. Then we've got to transport them. Then we've got to set them up on the shelves. Then at the end, we've got to bring them back. I still haven't put the library away again. All of this takes a huge amount of time. Then there is the charity raffle. The charity raffle is something else that we run at GridCon, which takes me months of work. So without going into too many details, and this year was made worse because there was a lot of issues with the booking system and the hotel rooms and everything else. For those two weeks before GridCon happened, I was getting about two hours work a day done, which is why I'm quite far behind with my paid work. And I was having to spend all of the rest of my time, sometimes until 11 o'clock at night, doing things for GridCon. And that's just in the last two weeks. Now, I've already spent months preparing, doing all of the stuff and everything. Basically, the financial support that I get through the Patreon means that I have the financial flexibility to take time off my paid work in order to do the stuff to make GridCon possible. That's the way that... That's the way that I run it. Now, other convention organisers do things differently. Other convention organisers uh, make a, make enough money out of the convention to pay for all of the time it takes them to run it. I do things a little differently. Um, what I do is I say, well, hang on a minute. My patron supporters are giving me this amount of money per month. I will kind of offset that and work less in order to do grid cut. Anyway, that's the way I choose to do things and it works well for me. Um, so GridCon is only possible because of Patreon support, um, which is why we offer early access tickets to Patreon supporters. It seems only fair that Patreon supporters do get the first chance to book tickets for the event. Now, bearing in mind, we only have 300 tickets available for GridCon. What that means is that there are not that many tickets available for the public. I mean, this year there was probably about 80, which might not sound many. But one question I've been asked a few times, and I just wanted to address this publicly, is do I need to become a Patreon member of Paul in order to go to GridCon? And the answer is no, you do not. In fact, I don't want anybody to sign up for my Patreon in order to just get early access to GridCon. If you do, that's up to you. But 
I don't want you to do that. If you want to support me on Patreon, it's because I want you to support me, the channel, and everything that I do, and the fact that we give all of the advertising revenue to charity, and the fact that I'm doing all of these non-sponsored playthroughs. That's what the Patreon support is for. And if you want to support that, that's absolutely great. And as a thank you for that, you get early access to Gridcon. So I don't, I don't do the early access ticket in order to get new Patreon supporters. That's not what it's intended. It's intended as a, as a thank you to my existing Patreon supporters because without your support, I, I can't really afford to keep taking all of the time off work in order to be able to do everything that I do for Gridcon. And as I say, a lot of the stuff that I did for Gridcon was the charity raffle, but it did raise over £6,000 for charity. Images on screen now. This is almost everything that was in the charity raffle. You can't see, but those three boxes on the left-hand side, they are three complete uh, collections of Frostpunk donated to me by Glass Cannon Unplugged. And then there were a few other games that didn't arrive in time that I've listed listed at the bottom. But yeah, thanks to everybody's generosity, both the publishers that donated all of those games, uh, the people that donated all of those games, and everybody there who bought tickets, we raised £6,045, which is insane. That's a 300-person convention, and we raised over £6,000 for charity. So yeah, a huge thank you uh for everybody for contributing to that it does make it all worthwhile um yeah even though it is <laughs> it is a huge amount of work um so the other things that i wanted to talk about gridcon first of all a big thank you to everybody who gave us uh gifts we've brought a lot of gifts home lots of different colored uh flavored jaffa cakes uh the jaffa cake cake uh that was made thank you very much for that we did have to actually open that out and give pieces away um, because otherwise it wouldn't have lasted until we until we got home. But thank you for that. Uh, I also got the Jaffa the Hut, which is fantastic. So thank you very much, Paul, for that, uh, which I assume is is three D printed. Um, and yeah, the the dates that we got from Elaine uh, and other people as well brought all sorts of different gifts for us. So yeah, that was that was very much appreciated. Edible gifts are always welcome because uh, because they, they will get eaten uh, the other thing i wanted to say is a thank you to the publishers who helped sponsor the event as well so eagle griffin games sponsored the event they sponsored the uh the lanyards they sponsored the main room uh they sponsored the looking for players signs we had glass cannon unplugged that sponsored the second room we had hachette board games that sponsored the upstairs rooms uh we had board and dice who sponsored the bring and buy room because the bring and buy room it costs us money to hire that room but we don't make any money out of it so they they basically pay for that room um we also had some sponsored demos so i'll put some pictures on screen now we had uh, stephen cooper running the rebuilding seattle demo so thank you very much to wiz kids for sponsoring that and we had adrian gibson running the barcelona demo so that was board and dice who sponsored that we had adam richards running the draft and write records demos we did two of them uh, that was inside up games who sponsored that I ran the demos of Nucleum, sorry, the demo of Nucleum, uh, so that was that was board and dice as well. Uh, JP ran the Perseverance Episode 3 demo, so thank you very much to Mind Clash Games for that. Uh, and Mind Clash also sponsored a demo of Voidfall, and I got uh, one of the designers to demo it. So David Turtsey was there, 
uh, and he did the demo of that on the Sunday. One thing that I did want to talk about that happened at GridCon is we had some designers there running playtests of their new game. So we had Richard Breeze, who was there running demos and playtests of Keyside, which is uh, an upcoming game for him next year. He was also running some games of The Glade as well. Vital Lacerda was there. He was demoing lots of games of Speakeasy, uh, which is his new big box game that's going to be coming from Eagle Griffin Games, I think going to crowdfunding next year. Uh, I heard lots and lots of great things about that. Uh, we had David Turtsy as well. I think David was, I can't quite remember what David was doing. I don't know if he was just playing games for fun or if he was doing any playtesting. Uh, we had James and Jaya there from Naylor Games. They were doing some playtesting of the new Snowdonia uh, and I think a couple of other ones as well. But yeah, they, they ran a number of demos of that. David Digby was there as well, running some demos of some of his new prototypes along with Nick Shaw, who was also there demoing some of his prototypes. Uh, and Mike Nord and Alan Paul were there as well. I don't think they were demoing any prototypes. Maybe they were, um, but they were playing various games. So yeah, that, that was GridCon. Um, yeah, watch this space for details about GridCon 5. We've still got some negotiations to do with the hotel because there were certain things that went well, certain things that didn't go well, and we need to be having discussions with the hotel about whether it's going to be feasible to run GridCon 5 there, and if so, details about it and stuff like that. So yeah, watch this space uh, for details of GridCon 5. Probably around March, April time next year is about the time that if we are going to be running it, that's the time we're going to be um, putting tickets on sale. Right, let's do a Patreon update. So it's actually been a good past few weeks. Um, we've had loads of people leave the Patreon in the last month, but we've actually, and probably more than normal to be to be fair, um, we've actually, we actually had more people join in the last month than we have had for a while. So the numbers are actually up a little bit on where we were last month. I think, unfortunately, Patreon has completely revamped their entire interface and the way it the way that you can get information from it coupled with that in the last six months i have enabled um i can't remember what the option is called but i used to have it before that whenever you joined the patreon it didn't matter when you joined you would actually start paying on the first of the month that made accounting for me clean and easy but I was getting into the problem where some people were joining the Patreon, getting the access to all of the behind the scenes videos and then leaving like straight away, which meant they never got charged and they got all of this access and then just left. So by enabling the immediate payment, it, mean, it basically means as soon as you sign up for the payment for the Patreon as a paying member, you get charged straight away and your billing cycle is on that day of the month from then on. So if you've been a Patreon supporter of mine for you know more than six months or so, your billing period is on the first of the month. But if you're one of the newer members, your billing cycle is based on the day of the month that you joined. What that means is if you cancel, Patreon still thinks you're a member until the end of your thing. You still get the access because you've paid for it. You've paid a month in advance. It's only fair. But it means when you cancel, I get an alert that you've cancelled, but actually you're still an active member. So I've got to remember that in three weeks time, it's just all a bit weird. Uh, and the other thing that I enabled is the yearly subscriptions. Now, I did this because a number of people asked for it. Um, so we've now got the yearly subscriptions in. And that's why actually getting information out of the Patreon system of, look, how many new people have I had this month and who are they? And how many people have cancelled this month and who are they? 
getting that information out of Patreon is actually very difficult. The reports that I run anyway. A big thank you to everybody who has joined me in the last month. The picture is on screen, images on screen of everybody who has joined me in the last month. I think this is correct. Apologies if you're missing from this list. Um, but also a big thank you to everybody who has stayed with me um, because as I've mentioned, only one of the videos that I did this month was sponsored. So that's where the Patreon money is going. It's effectively funding me, it's funding the channel, it's funding all of the videos that I'm doing, which all take time to prepare and everything else. I'm not doing much paid work in the background. The Aeon Trespass videos are keeping me busy, but that's only maybe a day and a half, two days a week. So yeah, huge thank you to all of you for supporting me. So what's coming up? Coming up over the next few days. Now, this video, as I say, is being recorded on Thursday, the 30th of November. I won't get this video edited until the weekend, probably, and then I'll get it out early next week. By then, there will have been two more live playthroughs on the channel, because these are happening tomorrow. The first one is Halls of Hegra, which is a solo playthrough that I'm doing tomorrow afternoon. Again, not sponsored. Uh, and then in the evening, I'm doing Evenfall. Again, not sponsored. So that's tomorrow. Really looking forward to tomorrow. Effectively, I'm taking a day off work to play games, um, which sounds fantastic. But again, <laughs> not making any money out of it, but it's all fine. It's all fine. Um, there are three more dates in December where I will be continuing to get through a few games. Uh, one of them is going to be a sponsored playthrough of a game called Flip Town, which is a flip and write game with a sort of cowboy theme. So that's happening on the 15th of December. Uh, other than that, I have plans to do a video of Revive with the expansion, which again is not sponsored, but I promised the publisher that I will fit that in in December. Uh, and then there'll be one other game as well. So I'm actually going to be doing a poll. Uh, at some point this weekend, I will put a poll up. If you are a patron supporter of mine at producer level or higher, then you will get an email with a poll and it will be Again, it'll be which games do you want me to cover on the channel? Now, I haven't been through all of the games that was on the last one, but I've had two or three new games since then. So I'm going to basically relaunch the poll um, with all of the ones that I haven't covered still on there, but the new ones on there as well. Games like um, Federation, Anunnaki, and there's another one that I can't remember. As for between Christmas and New Year, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure what to do because there will be another vlog at the end of December. So I'm going to have to fit that in sometime between Christmas and New Year. And it normally takes me about a day and a half to create these vlogs, which might sound crazy for a one and a half hour video, but I've got to write it, uh, set the studio up, uh, do my eyebrows. That takes a, at least 15 minutes. Uh, then I need to film it. Then I need to edit it. That takes about two and a half, three hours. So yeah, it's about a day to a day and a quarter's work to do these video vlogs. I want to do one for the end of December. I also would like to do a top 10 games at the end of 2023, which uh, will be voted on by patron supporters because it's too early for me to do my top 10. Um, but yeah, I, I want to do one of those. And I also want to do something fun at the end of the year um, between Christmas and New Year, like I, like I did for a, a couple of years where I play through a fighting fantasy book or something like that. But this year I'm thinking of making that a Patreon-only stream, just so that <clears throat> just so that there's less, excuse me, there's less pressure. Uh, and it, again, it's a thank you to all of my Patreon supporters. So watch this space for that. Um, other couple of things that I wanted to mention quickly just before we disappear. I had a very, very unusual email earlier this week. 
Uh, and this is from a guy called Pierre, who is over in Sweden, and he is a board game player, but he is also a rap artist. And he's recorded a rap song where I get a mention. And he says he's a big fan of mine, and he's done this rap song. Now, I don't like rap music, okay? I am not into rap music whatsoever. I have watched this video three times now. It's fantastic. It's really, really good. And I'm not saying that just because I'm in it. It's it's actually very funny and <laughs> really, really good. And I showed it to Vicky last night and she liked it as well. I'm going to put a link to this in the video below. So check out the link in the video description below. Uh, it's basically, I can put it on screen as well. It's tinyurl.com slash rap. Now he can't upload this to YouTube because the music that's in the video is not his own and he'll get slated for copyright. Uh, so it's a link to, I think, a Facebook page with it on there. But I don't think you need a Facebook account to watch it. But anyway, I'm mentioning that just because I thought it was great. Great watch and a lot of fun. And also, one other little thing is in this month's live Q&A, which is on the channel from a, a few days ago, um, I do have a little bit of a rant about the over-deluxification of games. So if you like my live Q&As, feel free to check them out. They are available in podcast format as well, if you're interested in that. But one of the things that I do talk about is about the over-deluxification of board games and how the hobby seems to have a trend at basically we're paying twice as much for games than I think we need to. Because deluxification of components is sometimes nice, but over-deluxification, where it's unnecessary, is just costing extra. And, and yeah, I had a bit of a rant about it. So if you're interested in that, Check that section out in the live Q&A. I can't remember the exact timestamp of it, but it's in there. Right. <clears throat> My voice is almost gone. We are all done. Second time of recording this video log. Thank you very much for watching. Thank you very much again to all of my patron supporters. I will get this video edited and uploaded, uh, hopefully over the weekend, and released to the public next week, which is December. I'll talk to you all soon. Take care, everybody. Thanks for watching. See you next time. Bye-byes.